Hey, quick uh, comment before I post this. Something just was not going good today. I've tried three or four different variations and something about some of the files I didn't like. So excuse the disconjoint in a few parts. I think it's some of the TikTok videos I grabbed that just didn't like them. So I yanked a bunch out and I hope this time it goes through. Enjoy. Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Let me digress just for a moment. I started the Cancer Moonshot, which I worked very hard on in the administration, the administration I served in last. <laughs> and um, I held conferences all over the country with literally thousands of people. And what Donald Trump understood was that Americans hate elitism. They hate it. The, 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 the average no. person. He understood okay. resentment. Okay. That's what. That's well, the only yeah, thing. Resent, resent elites. Okay. Yeah. And, and yeah. that was. It was about race and it was about elitism. And he understood that. And that's. And we can't give that back to Republicans. Oh. It's really. We we really are. And, and we are on the precipice. If we don't get this right this time. Thank yes. you. We don't get this right this time. It's over. You That's put right. McCarthy back in, you put Trump back in, our democracy is over. I'm not overstating it. That's where we're at. And the Democrats have to understand what wins elections and what loses elections. You know, you know, both parties, Republicans and Democrats, too many of them, don't understand, I don't think, grasp one fundamental thing in this country. They always talk about, we want your family to get ahead. We want your family. You can do events, but it's really not that exciting. It's kind of just an auditorium. But because of COVID and because the president was gonna, wasn't going to travel as much and not as many people were going to come here, um, he does a lot of events and actually meetings from there where you mm. can put up a bunch of people on screens and um, be able to see them and talk to them and engage with them in a way you would do if he had 30 people in a meeting here. So um, they, they built it out more uh, to make it look a little bit better visually and to, to ensure that he could kind of engage with people and see them in different boxes. As all eyes are on Biden on the world stage, the White House speaking out about the fake one staged for his COVID briefings. Outkick founder Clay Travis joins us now. Hey, Clay, good morning. Hey, Ainsley, how hey, are you? Hey, good morning. I'm doing great. What'd you think of that? D did you have a problem with the fake stage across the street from the White House? I mean, I think the whole thing is very weird, and especially in the context of this is a guy who ran effectively his entire presidential campaign from his basement, an artificial version of what we were used to in terms of getting out and about amongst the people. And then he also now has an artificial version of a, a stage I, I just think the whole thing it feels very uh it feels very abnormal in what is a highly abnormal white house uh and look if 
Joe Biden was doing a great job on the murder rate in the country. If the border at our southern uh, border here was in control, if COVID wasn't still running rampant, if kids weren't still in masks, if we hadn't had the disaster in Afghanistan, if we hadn't also had uh, the disaster going on right now in Ukraine, maybe, just possibly, you'd be inclined to give the benefit of the doubt for artificially staged, managed insincerity to this White House. I'm just not, given what is going on right now, it just feels like another artificial level of failure for the Biden administration when it comes to trying to protect Joe Biden in many ways from himself. Jen Psaki has a tough job. That's a job I would be very nervous to do. And um, I enjoyed her actually in this interview because I didn't think she was as tense and I didn't think it was as serious. Granted, she wasn't, you know, in the press briefing room. Here she is talking about some of the questions she gets from reporters. It was planned to be an hour. Um, and, oh my God. Um, he had a list of questioners just so he knew who to call on. I think in the moment, uh, he just decided to take some more questions. I'm a pretty chill person. I think people who work with me would say, um, but I think when some of the questions started to be off and cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs land there, uh, yeah. I was thinking, oh my, what, where are we going here with this? Clay, your reaction? Good evening, everyone. The leader of the fraction is here. The head of the president's administration is here. Prime Minister Schmeil is here. Podoliak is here. The president is here. We are all here. Our military are here. Citizens and society are here. We are all here defending our independence, our state, and it will remain so. Glory to our defenders. Glory to our women defenders. Glory to Ukraine. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 27th of February, year of our Lord, 2020. Yeah, the world's shit. It's just shit. So I started with Biden and a little bit of politics and punching and the fake set. and Going to hit SCOTUS today, but I got to talk about Ukraine. Um, you know, I, as those that have followed the show, I don't really idolatrize anybody. But this Zelensky motherfucker, yeah, that's a bad dude. That That's just a bad dude. You know, it would be a cold day in hell we'd see one of our leaders like this. Or like that. We have a lot of people doing this, like making bullshit, communist-looking crap for both sides. But watching this has been pretty hard. I got to admit, uh, I trained most of my life to kill Russians. That's what we did. It was the Cold War from 85 to 2001. That, that Every mission was some motorized rifle regiment and blah, blah, blah. And watching them get denied on that airfield and getting fucked up. Well, that was pretty cool. But this is another time in my life that I'm watching us do nothing. Balklands, nothing. Nigeria, Africa, nothing. We just do nothing. 
And with this president, my God, of course Putin's going to do it. He's feckless. We're going to give you sanctions. You you can't even get sanctions out of this. I mean, the, all the European, Italy, we got to get our luxury goods. Germany, we got to have the, it's like, fuck it, take Ukraine. I mean, it's just now through Poland, Germany, and some of the EU nations are actually bringing things to the fight. But this is really the first war that we're watching via social media. Warning, some of this is graphic. When you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not Al-Qaeda, you said Russia. In the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. Russia, I indicated, is a geopolitical foe. Not Number a, one. Not, excuse me. It's a geopolitical foe. And I said in the, same, in the same paragraph, I said, and Iran is the greatest national security threat we face. Russia does continue to battle us in the U.N. time and time again. I have clear eyes on this. I'm not going to wear rose-colored glasses when it comes to Russia or Mr. Putin. It's going to take a hell of a lot of work to make up for all the damage he's done internationally and nationally. His network of thugs and co-conspirators are going to continue to try to undermine our democracy in the meantime. Imagine what he can do in another year. Imagine what can happen in Ukraine. Make no scale Russian invasion into Ukraine happening right now and the air raid sirens going off in the Ukrainian capital as we speak. On the ground, Vladimir Putin sending troops into eastern Ukraine, heightening fears of a full-blown invasion at any moment. The U.S. calling it a clear and unprovoked attack during an emergency meeting of the U.N. Security Council overnight. The White House already imposing sanctions, vowing more to come. But will that be enough? And is there any chance of a diplomatic way out of this crisis? To address the ongoing crisis, the UN Security Council held a rare overnight emergency meeting condemning Russia's latest moves. The US ambassador vowing to impose more sanctions. That tense meeting overnight at the UN Security Council, which Russia currently chairs, comes as the White House braces for what it says is an imminent invasion by Russia. The move immediately met with a chorus of condemnation. The White House issuing initial sanctions, promising to announce more significant ones today. And the UN Security Council convening overnight for an emergency meeting. Allied countries blasting Putin's actions as a violation of international law. Well, White House officials tell us, Nate, that there are going to be new tougher sanctions announced today on Russia in concert with U.S. allies as the U.S. and Europe all try to dissuade Russia from starting what could be one of the largest armed conflicts in Europe since World War II. The consequences of Russia's actions will be dire. At an emergency U.N. Diplomats from around the world urged Russia to back down. Русский, русский. Утопить того мудака, блядь. 
резать нахуй свинью. Chilling footage from Ukraine. The president announced new sanctions aimed at crippling the Russian economy, targeting four large Russian banks, several more oligarchs friendly with Putin, and new restrictions on key high-tech exports to Russia. For weeks, the administration has insisted sanctions would curb Putin's aggression. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. But today, Mr. Biden said the opposite as he struggled to answer how to stop Putin from overtaking Ukraine. No one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show this is going to take time. Sir, sanctions clearly have not been enough to deter Vladimir Putin to this point. What is going to stop him? How and when does this end? And do you see him trying to go beyond Ukraine? No one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show this is going to take time. And we have to show resolve. And lives, David, are on the line as we speak. The president is really saying two competing things here. You heard him just say if Putin isn't stopped, he could be emboldened enough to try to go beyond Ukraine. On the other hand, he's also saying these sanctions that were issued today, severe though they are, aren't enough to stop Putin overnight. Look, officials here are telling me the reality. They know there is nothing they can do right now that is going to control what Putin does next. But they say over the next month, you're going to start to see Moscow increasingly isolated from the rest of the world. The White House says these are the most impactful and significant sanctions ever issued, David. But you also heard the president say today that it, he checked back with me basically in a month to see if these sanctions are working. Yeah. The president promising to make Putin an international pariah, but tonight notably not announcing what Ukraine's president and bipartisan lawmakers have said would be the strongest financial punishment available to Al barring Russia from SWIFT, the secure system that connects banks in more than 200 countries. Given the full-scale invasion, given that you're not pursuing uh, disconnecting Russia from what's called SWIFT, the international banking system, respectfully, sir, what more are you waiting for? Uh, the State Department just said about the U.S. and Russia that there are still some areas in which the fulfillment of our national security priorities and imperatives require us to engage and coexist. How is it that we are still engaging and coexisting with the Russians? Well, Peter, I would say diplomacy uh, around the world requires us to engage with countries even where we have strong disagreements, strong opposition, strong condemnation. We've been very outspoken and taken actions against China's human rights abuses, but we have worked with them in other capacities. We are working Russia as a part of the P5 plus one as we're working and making progress on an Iran nuclear deal. There's no question that achievement of that would make the world safer. Uh, so it is our responsibility uh, and, uh, and diplomacy means engaging even with countries where you have strong now we went back in our time machine there because we have uh, the old Romney clip of course because you know the media just love that mic drop that just stand it 
It stood the test of time, didn't it? Then you have Biden talking, and then the media trying to, you know, we got troops everywhere. We got troops everywhere. This could turn into a real war. A real war. And none of our people stand up, even had their, uh, I think I played it, the foreign minister, we're going to survive. Our people are trying to make it all politics. Even freaking Putin talk about Nazis. Where the fuck do you think he got that shit from? Our people. And these are the libs. I'm not even going to read it. This is Politico, right off the bat. Republicans seize and pounce. People are dying in the street of Ukraine. And our douche nozzles are talking about who's going to pounce, who's going to get help in the midterm. The Democrats. Oh, I got Brian Seltzer. Sorry, let's do the Brian Seltzer first. The past 24 hours have been good for business. The Democrats, President Biden is bringing the world together against Russia aggression and against Ukraine. This is what leadership looks like. No, it's not. When you can't even sanction without carve-outs, you didn't bring anybody together. Nobody's come together. I mean, every time there's real issues in the world, Democrats, and I'm going to go back to it. Reminder not to assign gender to anyone from Ukraine. A lot of people in Ukraine crowding together inside. Only 35% of Ukrainians have been vaccinated. These are real tweets. This isn't discussed much, but Putin very much benefits from white privilege. I saw that one. Amanda Winston Lee. In one way, Putin did us a favor. Historically, every president running for re-election during a war has won. Fuck you, I'm serious. Anything that keeps Trump out of the White House, I embrace whiny bitches clutching their pearls and trying to police my tone, will be blocked. If Trump gets back in office, we'll have the casualties from the war and a genocide for LGBT. Please don't let Putin distract you from the issues that really matter. Ukrainian lives don't matter until black lives matter. Draft the unvaccinated. Liberals are going to be liberals. Let me blow this up. This is Kyle Griffin. Jeremy Bash, ex-Defense Department Chief of Staff. I've never seen a U.S. government team as agile and as focused as this Biden team is in declassifying intelligence and calling out Russia's activities. Matthew Dowd. Every time I get an update on this program, this is what happens. If you are blaming Biden today for what Putin is doing in Ukraine, please take down the American flag from your home or social media accounts and replace it with the Russian flag. It will help us all know where you clearly stand. Dissent is treason. I carry the flag to places so horrible you couldn't conceive of the evil that thrived there in the darkest recesses of your addled mind. I laid it on the coffins of Americans who people like you sent or left or to die there. This is how you start a war. 
How dare someone criticize a president? You're a traitor. This is how they are. WAPO. With Biden standing firm, Putin must wonder where Trump, where's Trump when he needs him? That was an opinion piece. New York fucking times. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm out of order. Peter Baker. Ah, fuck it. Move on. Dean Obadiah. We watched Putin's horrific attack on the people of Ukraine in horror. Trump and much of his GOP view it as a playbook to wage more January 6th attacks. The Hill. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is a defining moment for the Republican Party. Listen to this. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is creating a defining moment for the democracies of the rural world and the Republican Party here in the United States. The Democrats' path is clear. Support the response of Democratic President Joe Biden. But for Republicans who lack a single leader in Washington, it's more complicated. Will the Republican Party stand for the same principles that provide the philosophical bedrock for American victory over the Soviet Union in the Cold War? Or will we wander in days, confusion, and small debates over whether Russian Vladimir Putin is really a bad guy after all? Yeah. Graph. One thing worth keeping in mind today, there's a straight line from Russia attack on the U.S. election in 2016 to 1-6 to today's new invasion of Ukraine. The chaos that Russia unleashed with the election of Trump weakened us to the point Putin feels confident in invading Europe. Now, understand, that's on Twitter. It's completely false. We all know it's false. Every investigation has proven it's false. But it stands. John Harward, another way of stating Garrett's point, the Russian thug now attacking Ukraine helped Donald Trump become president because the thought that would someday make this kind of attack easier to pull off. He was right in the short term, long term to be determined. Or another way, most of us are looking at it. There were no attacks when Trump was in office. Yet Biden is so feckless and weak. Of course, there's attack. Hope the camera's better today. I got a new camera, um, a Logitech 960. Zoom, zoom. It's got auto zoom. So we got troops everywhere. We have Russian forces doing horrible things. You saw it in the video. So what was the Lincoln Project doing? Oh, I didn't put it up. Well, from a pause from the Lincoln Project. While this is going on, he's accomplishing nothing. He didn't bring the world together. We clearly didn't stop the attack. We can't even get people to fucking do anything to help the Ukrainians. We're just watching them die. Here was the media jerk-off of the week. I am the media jerk-off of the week. Ideologically, you know, there are all these rating systems that rate judges on how liberal, how conservative they are. She's pretty much in the mainstream of Democratic uh, nominee. 
uh, one of the rating systems I saw put her slightly to the right of Elena Kagan, another put her a bit to the left, but she's very much in the mainstream of a Democratic nominee, and she's obviously replacing a, a Democratic nominee. So as Marsha Clark said earlier today, that it's, it's probably not going to um, alter the ideological balance, but it'll widen the human aperture. And, and uh, Jonathan, how do you see her fitting in, and, and how do you read the, the uh, coming Republican opposition? Well, I think she. I think she'll fit in just fine, um, considering you know, she's you know been on the bench for a few years now, and folks love her. When it comes to the Republican opposition, the idea—I can't remember which um, Republican member of Congress said this—that she's some you know left-wing radical. Um, it's just sort of that would have been branded onto any whoever the president named. It just now happens to be Judge Jackson. I think that, you know, if Republicans stick to substantive criticisms of Judge Jackson, either her record or rulings or cases, they will be fine. But the moment they stray into the territory that um, Senator Kennedy of Louisiana did by saying, you know, he hoped the president would choose uh, someone who could tell the difference between a J. Crew catalog and a law book, or another member of Congress who said before even a person was named that no matter what, that the president was making an affirmative action hire, if they go down that route, they should be prepared for withering criticism. Uh, and also Republican leaders, those who say that they're Republican leaders, should be prepared to condemn those folks because there is no question that Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson is qualified to be on the court, should be on the court, and is not. I have to tell you, I, my heart feels full. I'm not sure I'll be able to remove the smile off my face today. I am unbelievably proud in this moment to have witnessed what I just did. Not only did I see the Vice President of the United States on her, um, behind her, but also seeing this profoundly talented, eloquent, well-versed in the law and dignity and humanity to relay why she ought to be exactly where she is today. Hearing her talk about not only her quest and love of the law, having her invoke the late Constance Baker Motley, speak about her own relatives having been incarcerated. Mine have as well in some instances. The idea of the intersectionality we're talking about, about all the different facets of what it takes to be who she is, was just profoundly moving to watch and to see. And not the least of which, as a mother, to watch her speak about her children and about the reverence she has for her mentors throughout the field of law. But most importantly, what brings here is the knowledge of don't we want somebody in the Supreme Court of the United States, only nine of them, to reflect the people of the United States, not just in scholarship, although her credentials frankly sounded as if Mount Olympus decided to choose and give her each of the credentials and gave this great, um, almost a legal deity of sorts. And yet she disrupted the myth that you had to be but one thing in order to be a Supreme Court justice. Her background in sentencing commission, her background as a public defender, her background in a trial courtroom, her background as a district court and a DC circuit court judge, 
all of these things tell you that 99.9999% of all the cases the Supreme Court will hear are not just the ones that get in the headlines, but those that profoundly impact the day-to-day -day in America of everyday people. And to hear about this notion that the fraternal order of police also supporting the notion that this is somebody as a defender, as a proponent of civil rights, as a proponent of fair sentencing and due process, I sincerely hope that she will get the benefit of the very due process that she has attempted to secure for the presumed innocent, because certainly after that resume, after that speech, she ought to be presumed. Yeah. Black lady, totally unqualified. Everything she's ever done has been overturned because she's just a liberal. She has very little experience, but she has the most important experience you need. She's the right skin color and she is a Democrat. So back to this. This was what they ran all week. Lincoln Project wants Fox News banned from bases. While there's a war going on, that was more important. You know, makes sense somehow in their crazy little minds. Um, and you could see my reply. Fox News isn't played on bases. Fox News has been banned since the last time they freaked out about this fucking shit. And they literally go to home and garden TV. If you're a military person, you will see home and garden TV. You can go from freaking the freaking lab to your doctor to the pharmacy and watch the same show over and over and you know sometimes you miss the flips you don't get to see the ending but at the end of the day they're not serious people they're just not serious people they're very unserious and the way to prove they're unserious was how the trucker convoy ended and noticed our our, our media treated the trucker convoy worse than Russia. This is about following the money. This is about stopping the financing of these illegal blockades. We are today serving notice. If your truck is being used in these illegal blockades, your corporate accounts will be frozen. The insurance on your vehicle will be suspended. Send your semi-trailers home. The Canadian economy needs them to be doing legitimate work, not to be illegally making us all so exactly who and what are fueling these protests? Ottawa's police chief says some Americans are now playing a bigger role. We are now aware of a significant element from the United States that have been involved in the funding, the organizing, and the demonstrating. CNN fact check guru uh, Daniel Dale is with us now. Daniel, how much support is coming from the U.S. to these protests? 
I don't want to make it sound like these protests are a foreign operation. Canada has a far right of its own. Canada has other citizens unhappy with COVID restrictions and with Prime Minister Trudeau more generally. Some of them are just calling for him to resign. So the U.S. didn't invent these protests. But with that said, it is just remarkable uh, as a Canadian myself to see just how much attention this Canada story is getting from right-wing U.S. media. I personally spent four years as a U.S. correspondent for a Canadian newspaper. I can tell you almost nothing that happened in Canada ever made right-wing news like Fox in this country. Uh, these protests have been a nightly fixture on Fox News. Some hosts seem to be trying hard to make similar protests happen in the U.S. and they've become a hot topic for Republican politicians as well. Watch this. The Canadian truckers are heroes. They are patriots and they are marching for your freedom and for my freedom. We want those great Canadian truckers to know that we are with them all the way. The question is how long before protests like this come here? Will we need our own trucker rally to end all of this insanity once and for all? So we don't have hard figures on U.S. donations to these protests, but there is no doubt that all this U.S. attention and, frankly, as you saw, Fox advocacy has helped the organizers generate millions in online donations. Fox host Tucker Carlson has even himself been selling T-shirts in support of the protests. Now, as a Canadian, I can tell you this right-wing coverage has tended to leave out some important facts, even when it hasn't been straying into outright falsehoods. Number one, this protest involves a tiny minority of Canada's truckers. As you said, more than 85% of the Canadian truckers who regularly cross the U.S. border are fully vaccinated, similar to the percentage for Canada's adults as a whole. Convoy organizers claimed in January that about 50,000 trucks were involved. It was actually in the hundreds of actual trucks, maybe into the low thousands, depending on what vehicles you count. But other participants are far-right activists or just citizens unhappy with Trudeau or COVID restrictions. Now, Fox is also depicting these protests as a kind of revolution, a popular uprising. Look, Canadian polling has consistently shown that a majority, sometimes around two-thirds of respondents in Canada, disapprove or oppose of the protests. And as Matt Egan said, they're now impacting important economic activity, impeding the operation of auto plants, for example. I would not be surprised if that opposition number increased further. Thank you, Madam Speaker, and uh, I've heard the words of my colleague on the other side of the floor, and so I have a few questions. Um, as a Jewish member of Parliament myself and a descendant of survivors of the Holocaust as well, I, like many Canadians, were shocked to see Nazi flags, Confederate flags, dismayed and angry and hurt, horribly hurt. So how many Nazi flags does it take how many donors from the Capitol riots, it's 1,100 and counting, who have donated to these illegal blockades? How many guns need to be seized? How much vitriol do we have to see of Hong Kong, which is an acronym for Hail Hitler? Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Hong Kong is Hail Hitler. But the only screen I'm gonna put up is this. This says everything about our media. They were doxing individuals who donated to the truckers. Now, if you remember, the Twitter rules and Facebook rules, hacked, doxed, you can't put that stuff out. That is, sorry, my knee was hitting the table. You can't do that. The Washington Post did more journalism on orderly people who donated $40 to trucker protesting vaccine mandates than they did on Kamala Harris raising bail money for rioters. Which, don't worry, that's our next segment.
rioters. Journalism is about punishing people for disagreeing with you, thereby intimidating future dissenters. This means the biggest single donation to the trucker in 90000 made in the name of and with an old email address for Silicon Valley billionaire Thomas Siebel. That was allowed to go all over Twitter. Nobody had a problem. CBC hyped cybersecurity expert warning Canada protesters were manipulated by, wait for it, what do you think? Russia? They're talking about taking their pets. It's all over, but they won't let it go. CTV News Anchor says he spent the last two days calling people on that hack list a convoy donation. I spent the last two days calling local people who have donated the trucker convoy, including a former MP, several business owners, healthcare professionals, and a property developer, trying to understand why they would support this. Could it be you all have lost trust and credibility with the majority of people? Sorry, my stomach is almost 80%. So now I'm doing insure. Yeah, I know. That's disgusting. But I got to get some. Ezra Levant, CBC is digging through hack list of Give, Send, Go donors, Freedom Convoy, in order to intimidate donors on Justin Trudeau's behalf. Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster is combing through the illegally hacked stuff. And you get the point. They're going to go after him. Stella Luna, you probably saw that. That poor lady, I felt just fucking horrible for her. Glenn Greenwald, absolutely unbelievable. The excuse Twitter used to censor the pre-election Hunter Biden reporting was his policy on prohibiting use of hacked materials. That was a lie. Nothing was hacked. This donor information was hacked, and Twitter is allowing full discourse. In the last six years, a major function of large media corporation is to elevate ordinary people from privacy and obscurity they choose into spotlight for a crime of Idea, ideological wrong think. Remember one of CNN's lowest and most pathetic moments. They sent a camera to a Florida home for a lady who had Facebook and we paid it. Yeah. I, I don't even know. I, I don't even know how to cover this shit. So we have ours here, and they're already trying to crack down on them. And I had the video of the guy that did hack it. Uh, let's play it. Yeah, he, he looks like a nice guy. He, he's mentally stable. So taking a page from the fascists we have, Tamara Litch, one of the key organizers of the protests in Ottawa, has been denied bail. Because she's such a threat for doing protests. But are we surprised by our journalistic class? I mean, is anybody really surprised? It's a little twisty. Let me try to move it a little bit this way. There, that's a little better. The job of the New York Times should in the end be come out with the best version of the truth. The best version, which means Democrat. Joe Lockhart. Whatever happens to Ukraine, we shouldn't underestimate the fact the United States has retaken the adult chair in the world. Biden has restored American leadership so damaged by Trump. The world needs us, and we have a president who can and does lead us. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. 
Because as the Durham probe comes out, there's a lot of interesting stuff that it's aligned with it. So let's listen to the hypocrites. The biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my campaign, There's no real evidence of that. Of course there is. It's all over the place. Leslie, they spied on my campaign and they got caught. Can I say something? You know, this is 60 Minutes, and we can't put on things we can't verify. You won't put it on because it's bad for Biden. We can't put on things we can't verify. Leslie, they spied on my campaign. Well, we can't verify that. It's been totally verified. No. It's been, just go down and get the papers. They spied on my campaign. They got caught. No. And then they went much further than that, and they got caught. And you will see that, Leslie, and you know that, but you just don't want to no. put it on the air. As a matter of fact, I don't know that. Well, now to a story making big waves in Washington. It's what amounts to unproven claims that Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign paid to spy on Donald Trump. Well, this morning, Clinton's responding. NBC senior Washington correspondent Hallie Jackson has the story. Hallie, good morning. Hey, Savannah, good morning to you. We're talking about a story that has ripped through conservative media, something Donald Trump calls bigger than Watergate. But what's in this actual court filing we're talking about does not back up some of the allegations being made. It would be explosive if it were true. The allegation a political opponent spied on a sitting president. And that's exactly what former President Donald Trump and his allies are claiming. It was worse than we thought because they were spying on the sitting president of the United States. Hillary Clinton's campaign paid to spy on Donald Trump. I liken it to Watergate. But Hillary Clinton now slamming the whole thing as a fake scandal to distract from Mr. Trump's real ones. So it's a day that ends in why, she tweeted. Some conservatives seizing on all this as proof someone spied on then-President Trump, blasting what they see as a lack of attention to it. The silence by most of the media is very revealing. But here's the thing. That computer data only showed that different servers were communicating, not what they were communicating about, according to experts. In other words, emails couldn't have been read. Text messages couldn't have been read. They couldn't have even seen the content that was on the screens. The court filing doesn't say when the data collection ended. And that's important because Sussman's attorneys say the special counsel knows it didn't happen during the Trump administration, but instead when then-President Obama was in office. Also keep in mind, the court filing does not allege a crime related to hacking. It also does not say that anybody was illegally spied on. Savannah? Just so I understand, so it actually happened during the Obama administration? That's what Sussman's attorneys are saying, yeah. Okay. So as we're going down this road... We now have a January 6th defendant get a probation term that's long enough for two election cycles. But this Wahoo who tried to kill a Jewish person. And I don't have to read that to you. Look at the difference. Look at the difference between these two people. Kyle Rittenhouse had to go to trial 
fight for his fucking life. And he defended himself. This guy goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and tries to kill somebody. Per LMPD spokesman Beth Rofe, Louisville activist and journalist Quintez Brown has been charged as Monday morning shooting the targeted Craig Greenberg, a Democratic candidate for Louisville mayor. Story to come. He's Jewish. He was all over TV, boys and girls. All over. Anti-gun. There's videos of him saying all sorts of shit. We need to fix it. Gun control activist, a BLM supporter, tried to assassinate a mayoral candidate because he was losing. Cliff Scheffner, which, by the way, doesn't change the fact I mentioned right-wing rhetoric and guns and stick by that. I didn't blame a right-winger. A whole lot of paranoid people can be radicalized by rhetoric of Q, Soros, etc. Right-wing as mainstream. Soros is a lefty, but... Insane lunatic attempts to assassinate a Louisville mayoral candidate. This is what conspiratorial right-wing rhetoric and guns everywhere gets us. I'm afraid this is going to get much, much worse. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the left. The uh, son appeared to have missed a few details. The alleged shooter, 21-year-old political activist, was arrested near the scene, later charged with attempted murder. While there had been no indication yet that the activist had ties to any right-wing organization, the shooting comes amid a rise in threats. And then in the article, the alleged shooter... Oh, I can't read it. Let me blow it up. The alleged shooter, a 21-year-old political activist, was arrested near the scene, later charged with attempted murder, while there's no indication. So they knew, but it's their obsession. Here's this one. Joe Rogan used of the N-word in that hack tape where they put a bunch of shit out of context. It's a fucking another January 6th moment. This dude was bailed out by lefties instantaneously. But here's the issues. Why don't we know where their 60 million has gone for BLM? Huh? According to WAS, organizer Quintus Brown has officially been released from jail just shy of four hours after the Louisville Com Bail Fund paid his 100K cash bond. Brown is accused of shooting a Louisville mayor candidate. Black Lives Matter paid for it, but we don't know where their money is. So with Durham, we know that he hacked. We know everything. We all know what's going on. The reaction to this thread, which combines assessment of why perception of spying differed with a riff on Fox inaccurate reporting, has been interesting. It's more important that people are misrepresenting what happened than how we describe it. The point is, the article hopefully makes clear, wasn't that whomst among us can say what spying is. It's that in this case, the spying was assumed before the evidence leading to Fox treatment the whole thing. Also, there was no hacking. Come on now. They spied on him. And yet we're still carrying on this January 6th shit. We're just still carrying it on like it's a real fucking thing. I. 
Seltzer just lost it. I felt compelled to write about it, too, because the actual court filing issue is much less newsworthy. Seltzer lost his shit. Seltzer actually addressed the German filing by quoting Fox News banner. Tonight, Fox News include crooked, caught, red-handed, and Hillary is the real insurrectionist. That's how they're still covering it. When they're not covering it. I mean, seriously, folks. The, this fucking shit. This is why we have issues in this country. We have two legal systems. You have the legal system for normals. You have the legal system for fucking the Democrats. And they can do whatever the fuck they want. And nobody seems to care. Why am I talking like that? I don't know. So, let's do some uh, house cleaning. Let's play a couple Tucker sound bites. If you watch Donald Trump closely over his four years in office, and we did, it became pretty clear that the more outlandish the claim that Trump happened to be making, the more likely it was to be true. Trump did tend to exaggerate at times, but it was mostly about topics that didn't matter. How big was the crowd at his 2016 inauguration? Who cares? But on the big things, on matters of civilizational importance, Trump told the truth bluntly, often when nobody else would. The Iraq war was a mistake, Trump said. Illegal immigration is a disaster. China is taking over the world. Haiti is a pretty crappy place. Deafening hysteria followed every one of these demonstrably true statements. At one point in early 2018, CNN and the Washington Post got so worked up trying to hide the obvious that they devoted blanket coverage to the claim that actually Haiti is an awesome and fully functional country, a perfect spot for your next family vacation. And by the way, if you disagree with that, you're racist. That's what they told us. Three years later, they have dropped the pose, at least on Haiti. Our leaders now consider Haiti so awful that just being from there qualifies you for asylum in the United States. With Trump gone, they can finally admit that. What was once a dangerous conspiracy theory is now just a sensible observation, especially when it justifies more immigration. For four years, no dangerous conspiracy theory was considered more dangerous or more conspiratorial than the claim that Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign had spied on Donald Trump. The very idea that Hillary Clinton, of all people, had spied on anyone was preposterous, the media informed us. Only a lunatic would claim otherwise. By making a charge like that, in fact, Trump was emboldening our enemies and degrading the public's confidence in our democratic system. So it wasn't just a stupid opinion that Trump had. It was really a form of treason. And yet, as usual, Trump kept saying it. Watch him do it again in one of his last sit-down interviews as president with Leslie Stahl of 60 Minutes. The biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my no, campaign, There's Leslie. no real evidence of that. Of course there is. No. It's all over the place. Leslie, Sir, they spied on my campaign and they got caught. Can I say something? You know, this is 60 Minutes, and we can't put on things we can't no, verify. you won't put it on because it's bad for Biden. We can't Look, put on things we can't verify. Leslie, they spied on my campaign. Well, we can't verify It's been totally that. verified. No. It's been, just go down and get the papers. They spied on my campaign, they got caught. No. And then they went much further than that, and they got caught. And you will see that, Leslie, and you know that, but you just don't want to no. put it on the air. As a matter of fact, I don't know that. No, as a matter of fact, we can't verify that. This is CBS News. We don't air things we can't verify. 
Really, Leslie Stahl, is that true? We still remember a CBS News piece from 2016 that claimed that Donald Trump was secretly working with Vladimir Putin. So the question is, how did CBS News verify those facts? Walk us through your reporting process. Well, as it turns out, that particular story, the reporting came from reading a piece on Slate.com, probably while standing in line at Starbucks. Slate alleged that the Trump campaign was coordinating with a Russian bank called Alpha Bank using a hidden server in Trump Tower. How did Slate.com know this? By consulting a, quote, small, tightly knit community of computer scientists. These scientists, Slate insisted, were totally nonpartisan. One of the sources explained anonymously, quote, we wanted to defend both campaigns because we wanted to preserve the integrity of the election. So here you have just another unnamed computer scientist defending election integrity. Makes sense. Don't ask questions. Jake Sullivan did not ask questions. Jake Sullivan takes Slate.com very seriously. At the time, Jake Sullivan was working for the Hillary Clinton campaign. He cited the Slate story as evidence that Trump was indeed colluding with Vladimir Putin. Quote, the secret hotline may be the key to unlocking the mystery of Trump's ties to Russia. <laughs> Sullivan said, what a tool. We can only assume that federal authorities will now explore this direct connection between Trump and Russia. So there was a bat phone in Trump Tower that rang directly in the Kremlin. Jake Sullivan stuck to that line for months. Here he is on CNN in March of 2017. What we learned during the campaign was that very serious computer science experts, people who work closely uh, with the United States government, had uncovered this secret hotline between uh, the Alpha Bank, the, the Russian bank, and the Trump organization. Now, of course, we didn't know for sure if in fact that were the case, but we knew that it should be investigated. And we knew that given how serious these computer scientists were, they weren't just making up crackpot theories. So it wasn't surprising to learn that even as of last week, the FBI is still looking into this. And do you have any idea what they're, what they're looking for? I don't. Uh, of course, I don't have a line into the FBI on this, but what I know based on public reporting is that there is very unusual server activity between this Russian bank and the Trump organization, which suggests contact that took place over the course of the campaign. Oh, the secret hotline. These people are literally willing to say anything if it gives them power. But listen carefully to what Jake Sullivan said. I don't have a line into the FBI on this. Everything I know is from public reporting. So you'll notice that Sullivan went out of his way to say that which should have been a very clear sign that it was a lie. And indeed, it was a lie. In fact, the Hillary Clinton for President campaign was coordinating directly with the FBI. A Clinton lawyer called Michael Sussman had been feeding false claims about Trump and Russia, once again from that crack team of nonpartisan computer scientists, to the general counsel at the FBI, a man called James Baker. But Sussman didn't stop there. In February of 2017, after the election, Sussman also met with the general counsel at CIA. So at this point, you may be wondering about the identity of those nonpartisan computer scientists who dug up all this new to learn they weren't nonpartisan. Once again, Jake Sullivan was lying to us. In fact, a pro Hillary Clinton activist from South Africa called Rodney Joffe had put together a team of digital researchers, oppo guys, we used to call them. Most of them came from Georgia Tech. In emails, Rodney Joffe explained why he was doing this. He wanted Hillary to win the presidency because Hillary Clinton had promised him a job as a top cybersecurity officer in the U.S. government. So Joffe wanted to help Hillary win. He said that. In order to do that, he gave his nonpartisan computer scientists a mission. 
Their job was to gather data they had access to thanks to a Pentagon contract in order to connect Donald Trump to Putin. Now, we know all this thanks to a new court filing from special counsel John Durham, who spent the last few years investigating the origins of the Russia hoax and is finally producing some material. In the words of Durham's filing, quote, Jaffe tasked those researchers to mine Internet data to establish an inference and a narrative tying then-candidate Trump to Russia. So this wasn't reporting, of course. They had a goal. They were trying to get Hillary elected president. The amazing thing is how they did it, where their data came from. The filing says that Jaffe and his computer scientists intercepted internet traffic, that is, emails and presumably text messages, from, quote, Trump Tower, Donald Trump's Central Park West apartment building, and the executive office of the president of the United States. In other words, Trump was right. This isn't a conspiracy theory. His claims were true. Democrats were spying on Donald Trump, not just as a candidate, but as president of the United States in the White House, as well as in his own home. So has anything like this ever happened in American history? Not that we know of, but Jeff Bezos doesn't think you should worry about it or even know that it happened. Today's Washington Post informed its brain-dead readership that while, quote, Trump is once again claiming that he was spied upon, that claim has been, quote, debunked. Oh, really? How has it been debunked? Shut up! It just has! But in fact, that claim has not been debunked. It has been verified. That claim is true. It actually happened. And the way it happened tells you everything about why it has been so extraordinarily difficult to bring democracy back to the United States. A government contractor spied on a populist presidential candidate, then passed the information to his opponent's campaign, which gave it to the FBI and the news media, which distorted it to create the illusion of treason, which was then cited by the politician who paid for the whole thing as a reason not to vote for the guy she spied on. Got it? It's a closed loop. Everyone's got a role. Here's Hillary Clinton during the presidential debates. From everything I see has no respect for this person. Well, that's because he'd rather have a puppet as president of no the United puppet, States. No puppet. And it's pretty clear. You're the puppet. It's pretty clear you won't admit no, that the, the Russians have engaged in cyber attacks against the United States of America, that you encouraged espionage against our people, that you are willing to spout the Putin line, sign up for his wish list, break up NATO, do whatever he wants to do, and that you continue to get help from him because he has a very clear favorite in this race. So if you're not all in with NATO, if you think it's a pointless boondoggle that endangers the United States, you, my friend, work for Vladimir Putin. You encouraged espionage, shrieked Hillary, at the very moment she was doing precisely that. They always denounce you for their own sins. Our media literally is garbage. It just got, it's just garbage. It's just garbage. I mean, I don't even know how to fucking, they can, you know, this morning, I, I'm trying to get it out of my mouth because I'm literally just speechless. I watched RT, which is a Russian channel, and folks, their perception of what was going on over there, it was the Ukrainians launching missiles and hurting civilians. It was just, it was horseshit. 100% horseshit. And that's our media right now. That's, that's what our media does. 
I mean, look at this WAPO. U.S. economy appeared ready to surge, but Russia's Ukraine invasion. That's the whole thing about this. They're so upset about Russian incursion. I mean, this guy, and I had the soundbite. I don't know what happened to it. He put a dead dog on a Republican's doorstep when he worked in local thing. Now, let me mute that thing. Sorry, I'm downloading some vids for the show that were corrupt. Time suggests for U.S. inflation fight, tackle climate change. Investing.com, U.S. producer price inflation rises 0.97, but it's transitory. Remember, you were told that. And they're fighting every day for him. And and this is our This Is America sound bites because I just finally downloaded them. Tell me this is reality. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. I got the strap. The West, it continues behind President Biden to threaten sanctions. There are troops moving into Eastern Europe. So obviously, the United States and the West is taking this very seriously. You're extraordinarily plugged in. What is your sense of where Putin is right now and whether this may be a bluff or whether he may actually go across that border? Well, I think he's putting in place all the uh, uh, mechanisms to invade, but I don't think he's going to make that decision until the 11th hour, and I think he's going to assess the tactical situation. But I have to give the Biden administration a lot of credit, as we've been discussing, because, you know, there's a military adage that the most decisive phase in war is phase zero. We're in right now. We're in the phase right before the shooting starts. And it's an information uh, warfare campaign. And I think the Biden administration has done a phenomenal job of declassifying information, calling Putin's bluff, saying that any predicate that he might concoct to invade is actually just a fabricated. And in that way, they've maintained alliance unity. They've uh, uh, deterred Putin, allowed us to close our embassy, move 5,000 troops to Poland, prepare sanctions, and, and send a clear signal that if Putin invades, the West is going to be ready. So I think the Biden administration has handled this phase, phase zero, absolutely perfectly. We should dive right into it because those polling numbers are not good for President Biden. He's got trouble at home, but meanwhile, he's dealing with a potential international crisis. What are the stakes here for him? The stakes are very high for President Biden. Meanwhile, you've got probably two-thirds of Americans disagreeing with the direction of the country and giving the president poor marks on the way things are going here. How does he handle Ukraine without losing sight of problems at home? I mean, focusing on inflation is an interesting thing, for, a challenge for the president in its own right, because there's limited tools in the president's tool chest for dealing with inflation. He doesn't control the Fed, so what can he do? Well, we'll see what the Federal Reserve does in the coming months. Do they raise interest rates at all? And that's something both parties are prepared for. So let's talk to Democrats. Uh, when it comes to the direction of the country, 33 percent of the country, only 33 percent, think things are going well. So what can President Biden do? Still a lot of time. 
but time is drawing near before the midterms. I asked some Democratic senators and House members about this. They want the president to be out there, and he is, to sell what they did on infrastructure, over a trillion dollar in spending. And they feel like too few people are talking about the American Rescue Plan from back in March of 2021, $1.9 trillion. Is that a problem generally with Democrats? I note that President Obama has even called Democrats out for not bragging about things that they're winning on. Certainly, that's a view inside of the Biden White House, talking to some of my sources there. They want Democrats on Capitol Hill to champion what Biden has done, not just complain about what hasn't been. Hindsight's twenty twenty because Obama was criticized for not doing. Biden is great. Biden is the best ever. I mean, come on. CBS telling them what they need to do. I mean, really? That's what, I mean, Biquette said it. He said, hey, we need to get the version of the truth. Version of the truth. And and even while the war is going on, the woke doesn't end. Turn it up. Turn it on. Rock it like we fed to the bones and on the floor. Running loose. Gotta put these two left feet to use. If you need education in the party. Let's get a walk. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is this central issue of parents having lived through the pandemic, having also seen what their parent, what their children are learning, um, really having a front row seat to the, to the challenges of all of that, um, rebelling against sort of what school boards are focused on. I do think a small cultural war is not the way that I would describe what's going on in our country. I would say that this is a huge cultural war. No, I would the also Democratic say... the Democratic Party, though, it's just beginning I, in the Democratic I say, Party, I think. I think even in the Democratic Party, um, I was looking at some numbers, uh, Gallup poll, looking at sort of Martin Luther King's favorabilities. We're in, Mar- we're in Black History Month, looking at the fact that the majority of the country um, did not support his work, that he was an unfavorable figure. And I think anti-racism work in America has been unpopular historically. That, of course, is complicated if what you said, you're not plowing the snow right. during a snowstorm. So that is adding to this. But I think there is a real issue in this country of whether or not, um, when we look at historical figures, when we look at slavery and its consequences, whether people feel comfortable still talking about that. There was this, this inflection point after the murder of George Floyd, and I think there there has been a big backlash to that. So I see how you think that you've done something here because parents or community members have voiced concern to their elected official, which is how that process works, Um, not, not bringing it to a teacher. Right, they're taking it to the elected official. Um, and now that uh, legislators are, are trying to implement these things. Um, but still, in fact, a parent, not my boss. I don't, I don't actually answer to them, so get bent. I have this one coworker who simply refuses to use the correct pronouns for me. I've called her out every time she misgenders me and she just is resigned to not change. And they just broke something in me. I just snapped. I ended up yelling at her after the third time she misgendered me and within like 30 minutes, like they, they, I use they, them pronouns. And she got so defensive. 
And I just started explaining to her, like, I'm sick and tired of the shit. Like, you need to at least make an attempt. And she popped off, got upset, got defensive. What are you going to do about it? And I just said, I'm going to be really hurt and sad. Like, that's all I can do about it. And the worst part is that at that point, my boss, who claims to be so woke and, like, happy and joyous and making a safe, positive environment for everybody, gangs up on me with her and says, like, this is, Carson, like, shut up. This is not the time for a political statement. <laughs> and I was upset, rightfully so, but was t trying to take such a level-headed approach to it of like, this is not a political statement. My identity is not a political statement. It's just my identity. All I'm asking you to do is respect that. And it really is within our own community <laughs> that people have the most rampant transphobia. I, the coworker that refuses to use the correct pronouns for me claims to be bisexual and she stands up and goes, when I came out as bisexual, everybody was mad at me. It's like, then why are you mad at the trans kid? Like what? You want to inflict that same pain onto me? Why? It's so frustrating because then my boss spins it around as like, I'm the one who's making a scene and is being like over emotional or oversensitive. And it's like, all I am asking is for you to make an attempt to try and respect my gender identity. And they're both just going at me like, this is not the time. We're trying our best. You should be compassionate and understanding. You should just accept it with love and move on. Like, <laughs> it's so frustrating. I literally was shaking so hard. I just got up and left. I came to the beach. I didn't know. So there you go. You meet y'all center saying, if you're not for CRT, then you're not for MLK. What? And then you see the curriculum. You see a teacher saying, fuck it. You see one of their pronoun motherfuckers and woke military. Right in the time when the world is going to shit, we got a woke military. And you can tell things are bad for Democrats because this, look at this. Everybody's coming out of the woodwork now. Oh, you're wrong. Job approval by state. He is getting fucking eaten alive uh disapprove alabama 68 let's go to new jersey 48 new york 49 oregon 51 my state 66 idaho 49 or 70 kentucky 68 massachusetts 40 37% approval. New poll. Everybody now is starting to go, wait a minute. Did he really win? Because the, the media hasn't stopped. Google hasn't stopped. We're still suppressing information. They were all over Twitter nuking people saying shit about Ukraine. It's like they don't even know which side to go on, to be quite honest. White House COVID team, they started changing their tools because you know it's polling. It's all polling. David Axelrod, kids should be, parents should be part of their kids. That's a fucking change. And then the DCCC comes out. 
Internal polling as the Dems roll back restrictions. 57% of voters in competitive House districts agree with the statement. Democrats in Congress have taken things too far in their pandemic response. A rise of 66% with swing voters. While the DCCC polling found that COVID policy attacks were alarming, it also found that attacks on the border, CRT, and spending were even more alarming. This even came out this week. Holy crap, are you sure? We're not going to die in 12 years? But AOC told me it was going to happen. As she danced. This one's coming. Right at the same time, they're playing fuck, fuck, goose with mortgages again because they say mortgages are racist and shit. Really? Really? I forgot to grab this. This is, this is... This this right here is why our country sucks ass. And what we're seeing abroad is tragically a, another chapter in the oldest story in humankind, which is the will to power. Putin wants something. He wants it for economic power, for uh, global power, for raw power. And he is allowing his ambitions, his appetite to overrun the rule of law. And that's what has led to so many cataclysms in in history for millennia. But even over the last century or so, the First World War, the Second World War, uh, the Cold War, which was hot in places, although it interestingly did not ever feature a, a direct confrontation between the United States and the then Soviet Union. And at every point, American presidents and and the American people of that time were called on to be engaged in the work of the world. Uh, You know, Winston Churchill came to the United States in 1943 in the middle of the Second World War and gave a speech at Harvard in which he was speaking basically to the isolationist impulse in the United States, which had kept America, of course, out of the Second World War from September 1939 all the way until the middle of December 1941. And he said, you can't become the greatest nation in the world and say, we're not going to be interested in what happens elsewhere. And he said, with greatness comes responsibility. And the generations that understand that and act on that are the ones we tend to honor the most. Uh, and then, of course, at home, you see with the, the appointment of, of uh, the nomination of, of Judge Jackson, again, this attempt to make us a more perfect union, to have the, this immensely important institution reflect the diversity of the America that we are and that we're becoming. And so I think when people like me look back and, and write about President Biden and write about this phenomenal era, uh, that really un- has been unfolding since the end of the Obama administration unto this hour, where there's a crisis of democracy and faith at home, and now there's a, a hot crisis of democracy and of faith abroad. I think we're going to be looking at this week uh, pretty... That's his speechwriter. But he still comes on TV like he's nonpartisan. That's the thing that's so bad about all this. It's like they're all nonpartisan. But... They're not nonpartisan. 
I mean, really, people, come on. And then this came out this morning. That's about as bad as you can get. That's about as bad as you can fucking get. That's a WAPO New York Times poll. 37% approval. That's a weighted poll for Democrats. You, you can't get worse than that. You just can't get worse. These fucking people have fucked everything up. Then you go on Twitter today. Ukraine agrees to hold talk with Russia. Um, Ukrainian officials report changes in radiation levels as Russian forces capture Chernobyl. Russia forces frustrated by determined resistance. Doing nothing. Just like the Balkans. Just like everything else. We're just doing nothing. We're just watching. I mean, individual Ukrainians are on the ground fighting. They are fucking fighting for their lives. And what are we doing? nothing we're we're doing nothing he did not unite the the world he did not bring the countries together because everything is a carve out and we're just letting people die you think these people would care all their kids work in ukraine all of them I mean, Hunter got big money up in that bitch for the big man. You'd think they'd give a fuck. But I want you to remember, this was one of the impeachments. And that president said no. He said no. So let's do one last video. I got to play this. If you didn't see this race, this is some scary ass shit. I apologize there's no sound on that, but my God in heaven, that car disassembled like T850. It, it wasn't it, it wasn't pretty. Ugh. Guy walked away, though. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com to find links to every show. I know there's not been a lot lately. But I want to thank you all. Coming up is our sixth year anniversary of the show. And this Wednesday? Yeah. This Wednesday. No, am I wrong on that? Hold on a second. I'm still in. Yeah, this Wednesday is the 20th anniversary of Operation Anaconda. So any of my Army buddies that still listen, how y'all doing? Don't have social media, so I'd reach out to people, but. Um, that's just hard to believe that, that makes me freaking old 20 years since I fought in the mountains and, uh, it just seemed like it was yesterday with the show. It also just seems like it's yesterday. Both those, both those hit this week. And unfortunately I got to work all week. So I don't, I'm hoping I can get on just quickly to market, but it's, it's hard to believe. Um, time sure flies faster 
I'm hoping this week to get a show during the week. If not, it'll be next Sunday will be our next show again. Um, and then the week after, I have Wednesday and Sunday off, so I will definitely get a second show. Um, bought the new camera. Uh, I hope it looks better. The new mic that I fixed, you know, now it's working. It doesn't sound all crappy. Um, for those that listen all the time, once again, I'm so sorry. I just, I got sick. I got that stomach burn. It is taking me two weeks to get off it. It just started leaning off yesterday. Uh, thanks to Big Sis in Colorado, I started taking a new probiotic, and it seems to be working and healing it some. Um, and just eating simple foods. I've lost a bunch of weight because I really can't eat. Everything makes me want to puke. Um, I've even gone down to less dipping and uh, one of these a day. But I can still feel the top and the side where it exits. Uh, my stomach to the large intestine. i got to call tomorrow just nausea now. Just a lot of nausea. I am so sick of being wanting to puke. Being want to puke. That's not English, but... Um, Anywho, thanks for listening. Please be safe out there. I didn't cover crime, the border. I mean, we are a clusterfuck. But I want us all to pray for these guys. I don't give a fuck about Ukraine. It don't mean shit to me. But if we let another country take over a fucking country on no pretenses at all, we're fucked up. So when this started, I really didn't care. Then I started watching this guy, and he's a damn leader. Yeah, he was a comedy host. Yeah, I gotcha. But this is a leader, and this guy has out and out leadered the fuck up. I mean, I've just been blown away. Most of them would leave. And I think 10, 15 years from now, A, the world's going to look at Biden and say, yeah, this guy was a fuck-up. But the fight is here. I need ammo, not a ride. The response to our State Department will go down just like Churchill. I mean, that's what we're talking about. The Afghan leader loaded a helicopter as much cash as he could, and he fucking bailed. Zelensky's like, I'm staying here. I'm fucking staying here. And the one comment I didn't make, because I'm trying not to make it political, but it's very interesting watching lefties get all excited because they're handing out weapons to kill Russians to civilians, but they want to take your weapon away. They can't put the dots together to realize that's why nobody invades us. We got too many weapons. But it's just amazing they made it a political thing. They tried to score points off it. They went to their SCOTUS. They pushed woke. And, like, we're not going to notice that a country that this guy said they'd stop and sanctions would deter them. And then he says sanctions wouldn't. But, I mean, like, everything they've done from COVID to the border when they're caught to inflation, they try to blame Trump. Republicans, January 6th, insurrectionists, white supremacists. But as the polling shows, we all know who's to blame. He is. He's feckless. He couldn't get the world to come together. And no, Mr. President, unlike your bullshit in 2019, 
Russia didn't invade under Trump because they knew there'd be consequences. They invaded under you and Obama, by the way, because they knew you wouldn't do anything. And what does that say about us as a country? We're a paper tiger. Our military is too busy learning pronouns and not vehicle identification like I was doing on the initial evasion. That BMP-3 with the fucking tank killer, thermobaric missiles, and scary-ass shit. But luckily, it only goes through 100 millimeters, and our, our M1s are thicker, thank God. But pray for the people over there. It's always sad to see this. In any country, regardless of their color, because I've seen a lot of that. I didn't touch it, but a lot of, oh, you really, all these immigrants are being able to come into Poland because they're white. Yeah, go fuck yourself when you're woke. These people have history together. They have family together. It'd be like Canada and the United States. We're supposed to turn them away because they are white, you morons. But pray for these people. I hope they keep stopping them. Unfortunately, the media is not putting out the truth. This is the advance guard. They have company-sized elements to go out and just probe. The main battle formations haven't even come in yet. 80 tanks went over the border Friday night. That's a regiment. Once they get their major forces coming in, I hope they can stop them. But never let them forget. We know they didn't help them. Some mad pads and 300, 300 fucking javelins when they have thousands of tanks. What the fuck is that going to do? We could have done more. We did nothing. Because that's what Democrats did in the Balkans. That's what Democrats did in Africa. That's what Democrats are doing right now. They just don't give a fuck. As the media has portrayed all week, it's just getting away of build back better, motherfuckers. So pray for these people. And tune back in sometime this week or Sunday for our next show. Thanks for listening. Thank you.